hey, chat GPT, can you write a pitchfork essay on why Feels is an amazing album? Sure. Here's a possible essay. Feels, Animal Collective's triumphant exploration of psychedelic folk. (laughs) In the pantheon of experimental music, few bands have managed to achieve the level of critical acclaim and cultural influence that Animal Collective has. Wow, you're right. I mean, it's still, like, pretty basic, but it's definitely, like... It's, like, more like... Definitely has a style. Yeah. With a career spanning over two decades, their group has consistently pushed the boundaries of what music can sound like, blended together elements of folk, electronic, and pop music to create their unique and compelling sonic universe. And nowhere is this more evident than on their 2005 album, Feels. From the opening notes of Did You See the Words, Feels announces itself as a bold and ambitious work of art. The song's jittery guitar riff and kaleidoscopic vocal harmonies set the stage for an album that is equal parts introspective and exuberant, melancholic and joyful. I feel like it's only a matter of time that the AI gets good enough to where it's describing an animal collective album like throwing a burrito on a on a windshield like Pitchfork did in their review of, I think it was... Centipede Hurts, maybe. Did they really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, eventually AI will just take over podcasting as well. You know, it's easy enough to replicate. Can you say bonefish? Bonefish. And we're back. Okay. And we're back. Hello. Welcome back to Bonefish, podcast about the animal collective. I'm Christian, and with me as ever is, uh, he likes to drink with horses, and he knows the Chinese ballet. <laughs> it's Justin. <laughs> Hello, Zoners. We're, we're back again. Yeah, we're still going with this, um, and we're going to see where this takes us. I guess we'll give you a, give you a little background on what to expect from from the pod um you know obviously we're going to be going deep on animal collective and the the animal collective universe um but i think we'll also you know trying to be talking about the indie world at large particularly kind of the post meet me in the bathroom era kind of the blog rock late aughts era kind of the time period that we really got really deep into music and and felt like you know i think to a lot of people our age, us geriatric millennials felt like this is kind of our our moment. And so, yeah, the oral history, um, Meet Me in a Bathroom, which became a, it was a Showtime was documentary. A book, yeah, a Lizzie Goodman, I think, or anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and it was recently a Showtime documentary. Um, books are really fun read. Anyway, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know about it. But it largely deals with sort of the Manhattan strokes LCD sound LCD. system, yeah, 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 as era mm-hmm. from like, yeah, 99 to let's say like 05, 06, really. And yeah, left out of that is kind of what I feel like is like kind of was the next ascendant era, which was kind of the the Brooklyn, Williamsburg, more experimental, arty stuff like Anco and Grizzly Bear and Dirty Projectors. I guess that's waiting to be written. Like you could write another book about that 
maybe they could have shown more love in that book to this underground scene was kind of percolating when this scene was kind of, uh, I guess, peaking. So they were definitely, you know, they were kind of on the periphery, I think, of that. And I don't think they really related to the new rock revival. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I would have loved like kind of more background on that, even just in the book, maybe. Because I don't even think, yeah, they're not like any like Gang Gang Dance or Black Dice or Wolf Eyes. You know, mm-hmm. some if we're remembering some guys, as they say, Wolf Eyes and some of these more... Um, more Brooklyn-based than than Manhattan-based bands. But, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about this whole other, you know, kind of movement, which was v- very much a response or very different to the, the new rock revival was kind of beginning and, and happening. Because, yeah, certainly Song Tongs was like a thing, 04, 05, that was like their first kind of main level up. Today we're talking Feels, episode two. What an album. It's a big one. Yeah, definitely a huge record. Um, Came out 17 years ago, October 18th, 2005. Their sixth album. Wow, they already had six by now. That's also wild. This is is dropped on Fat Cat Records. What can be said about this album? I mean, I guess we should talk about what music was like then. Um, Yeah, so we can give sort of musical context for the time and then also like context for the band. So 2005, took a minute to jot down the top 10 Billboard hits of the year. Um, top of the charts, we got We Belong Together, Mariah Carey. Number two is Holla Bat Girl. Uh, three, Let Me Love You by Mario. Don't remember that one. Since You Be Gone, Perennial. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, number five is One Two Step by Sierra. It's a hot track. Number six, Gold Digger by Kanye West. Uh, and then we have Boulevard of Broken Dreams. <laughs> so we're in American Idiot days here. Uh, number eight, Candy Shop, 50 Cent. <laughs> uh, number nine, Don'tcha. And uh, number 10, Behind These Hazel Eyes. So also, you know, Kelly Clarkson times. Yeah, this is like the high, if not kind of beginning of the end to like the 50 Cent G-Unit kind of era where, yeah. where, where hip-hop was very kind of maximalist and kind of very, um, yeah, materialistic. And, yeah, I mean, Green Day, like, was everywhere. I remember that. Um, right. It's funny because if you were... Kind of the height of the Bush anti-war era. Totally. And I feel like this is, like, kind of around the time I was first starting to, like, discover blogs, like Stereo Gum and stuff, and, like, Definitely. getting introduced to music other than just, like, what was available, you know, on terrestrial radio and like through commercials and like TV and stuff. And I was, I think the most indie I got at this point was there was a lot of, a lot of bright eyes, Radiohead, stuff like that. Yeah. So we should say neither but, of us had, just, had gotten into Animal Collective at this no, point in no, 2005. Yeah. yeah. And then indie music was kind of like, kind of this very nerdy, guitar driven, very serious music. And then comes, this band, Animal Collective, that kind of just like smears the edges of a painting and is kind of like just turning that all on its head. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious sometimes to th- to think like what 
how I would have reacted if I had encountered this music in 2005. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this was like 2005 is when Silent Alarm by Block Party came out, which is like a huge record for my like adolescence and like right on know, musical development. Still a banger. But, you know, that would have been that was pretty out there for me at that time. Like I, I would have been probably coming from like a cold play, like, you know, I really dug them. I really dug like U2 and like middle school. Like that was sort of like, I don't know, that's kind of where my head was at. And then Block Party itself was like, whoa, this is kind of challenging to me. Like, I felt like I really had to grow into that. So I feel like if I had heard feels then, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you like, might have had to like put it down. might have gone through, did you see the words, and then grass would come on and I would just freak out and be like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you might <laughs> have had to. maybe a little too much for me. But, you might have had um, to put it down for a little bit. But yeah, I think indie music was like what, Sufjan Stevens, Chicago came out that year, I Yeah, think. so the number one at Pitchfork record of that year is Illinois. Yeah, I mean, a great album. Yeah, yeah, I was into that. I was super into that record that year, too. Yeah, great album, you know, kind of like a very stately, almost like Broadway-esque album, but very different from Feels. Yeah. For sure. So I guess they were were like both in New York at the time, right? And sort of potentially could have been running in similar circles like I hadn't thought about that that was that's what's interesting you know yeah. looking back on this period now and how they were sort of pigeonholed into the freak folk movement that they weren't never really even like a part of um, but yeah it's, it's interesting to, to picture them in New York doing this album though I guess they recorded it in Seattle oh yeah with uh, the Sun City Girls producer or yeah whatever. Scott Col- Coburn right on yeah but yeah so the rest of the, I'll just shoot through the rest of these pitchfork Top 10 albums, because I find it interesting. Number two, Late Registration, Kanye West. <laughs> Remember that one for sure. Number three, Art Brute, with the album uh, Bang Bang Rock and Roll. Did you know that one? No idea. I had never heard of that, I don't think, before I looked it up and found it on the Got list memory today. hold. Yeah, number four, MIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five, Antony and the Johnstons. I'm a bird now. Number six, Deer Hoof, Runners 4. Ooh. Fuck yes. Awesome record. Right after Deerhoof, number seven, Feels by Animal Collective. Number eight, LCD Sound System, they're self-titled. Number nine, uh, Purple Haze by Cameron. And number 10 was Wolf Parade with apologies for the Queen Mary. Man, I feel like that helps really put the feel, (laughs) makes it feel like such a long time away. Like think about so many of these people now, Kanye, MIA. Yeah, Kanye, uh, MIA, definitely falling out of favor with the people. Yeah, LCD Sound System has, you know, discontinued and recontinued their career. And also, uh, an interesting context for the band, Animal Collective, they had just released uh, Ariel Pink's album on their record label, Paw Tracks. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's right, yeah, because they they, uh, they put him on. I forgot about that. Yeah, they discovered him. There's an interview where, yeah, Geologist talks about they played in L.A. in like 2003, and uh, this guy came up to him at a bar and gave him a CD and you know after the show and... They played it in the van. They like found it on the van floor, you know, like three weeks later, and put it in. And we're like, "Whoa, this guy's a genius!" And so, it's yeah, wow, sort of how he got discovered, which is which is crazy. But yeah, so that's that's 2005. A little more context for the band: they're coming off, you know, Sung Tongs just the year before, and Prospect Hummer after that. Yeah, they've been they were playing they were playing these songs for like a year and a half before. Yeah, so that's dropped, what which is one of crazy. The I wanted to ask is like, so that tour they're doing behind Sung Tongs, which like is a probably their biggest one yet. Like they go to Europe, they're already playing some Feels tracks. They were playing Feels tracks when Sung Tongs dropped. 
Oh, okay. They, crazy. they they started playing feel songs. I think a few months before the Sung Tongs album dropped. Which, yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. Did they do a Sung Tongs era tour with just Avian Panda Bear or, or the, yeah. the whole band touring? Okay, they but did, that yeah. tour was, I think, in the year up leading up to Sung Tongs. So I think the Sung Tongs tour was like 2003, maybe gotcha. a little bit of 2004, okay. and gotcha. then Sung Tongs came out in I think May or June '04. Which is like one of the really cool things about this band is like the beginning of the album cycle is the live set. Yeah. And then the end of it is kind of when the album drops, kind of the reverse. So they record like early 2005, right? Go to Seattle. But at this point, uh, Noah had already moved to Lisbon, I think, right? That happened in 2004. He uh, he moved and got married. And then Avi is also married at this time to um, Doc Tess, who is featured pretty heavily on the album. Oh, Kriya Brecken? Yeah, Kriya Brecken, uh, as she's also known. Yeah, her piano is awesome on this The singer from Mom. It's super good. Yeah, I, I, uh, I love what she adds. Kind of these, like, um, yeah, like teardrop piano lines all over the record. Definitely stands out for sure. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's crazy that they still stuck together as a band, even though they were all over the place geographically. Yeah, it is cool. It seems like, yeah, even though they were growing up and moving, they always wanted to make the band a real priority. It's crazy seeing pictures. I found this uh, Fader cover story from 2005 about Animal Collective. It sort of was released like on the right around when Feels came out and and there's some great pictures in it they're like done on film and it's it's crazy how much younger they look like it's babies yeah. it's wild dude and like it's really interesting like looking back on that period but um but yeah so they uh they go to Seattle to record with Scott Colburn did you did you ever listen to Sun City Girls that's not an album I or that's not a band I was been familiar with but no, I honestly checked out their stuff through Animal Collective, okay. um, but I can see the connection. Yeah, um, I guess Scott Coburn like saw one of their shows, right? And they just asked him if he'd produce. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I, I don't know this story. I know they were. I know they had been fans of like Sun City Girls stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think he just was at one of their shows, and they asked if he'd produce the record, and he said yes. Nice. Um, which this, which Sung Tongs, they had done on their own right like with rusty santos who kind of engineered it but yeah he was right. sort of like more a friend not really like a you know a producer where yeah if i'm not mistaken yeah so i guess dave and brian a lot of the origins of the writing for this album came from uh dave playing brian's friend's old piano which was like super out of tune hadn't been tuned in forever it was kind of like all wonky and uh, they recorded a lot of like samples on there that would, that could, sort of served as like the basis for a lot of the songs on Feels. And then so to like finish the album, they had to retune like the rest of the instruments, like Av tears guitar, Dave's guitars, and this, you know, this weird tuning that matches that out of tune piano. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when Kriya Brecken comes in to do her piano, they had to like hire a piano tuner to come in and just like fuck up the tuning of the piano <laughs> to That's make amazing. it match. It reminds me of like Lamont Young. You know Lamont Young? No. He's this uh he's like an early 
American minimalist composer who he's mm-hmm. from California, but he like came to prominence in the whole New York like fluxus sort of art scene. Mm-hmm. What he considers his masterpiece is this piece called the Well Tuned Piano, mm-hmm. where he gets this piano moved into this you know whatever concert hall he's performing at and tunes it to just intonation, which is like you know he takes it out of like the chromatic scale and puts it into like you know this alternative tuning that is like based on mathematic intervals and like mm. frequencies and it's like a Love it. he calls it like an ongoing progressive like solo piece for piano that's like this five to six hour improvisation wow um, and he's performed it like you know around 50 times this, this dude's still alive it's crazy he like lives in new york and uh, he's a super interesting character I didn't know about until I read this book. But yeah, like Brian Eno called him the daddy of us all. Like, Oh, really? Like, yeah, he's this sort of... He's got to be a legend then. Yeah. One other cool note about him quick is that he he had this band in New York in like the 60s and 70s called the Theater of Eternal Music. It was sort of like also sort of a musical collective that kind of had a rotating cast. But um, a lot of the repeat... Uh, members of it were Sky Lamont Young, his wife, who's also an artist, a musician, and like people like John Cale and like Terry Riley, oh, so nice. other like minimalists at the time. And they would, it was like sort of like drone concerts, like they would play all night, it would be insanely loud, they would all do drugs, and like uh, it was basically these sort of like early noise shows that, you know, would go on to influence like the Velvet Underground and stuff. And but yeah, that dude's awesome and really worth digging into his like sort of history of music if you haven't yet. But I thought that was cool. It reminded me of their compositional process for this album using sort yeah. of a like uniquely tuned instrument and kind of basing, making that like sort of the musical fundamental to what they would create. I thought it was kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm sure they were. I mean, they were big record nerds, so I'm sure they were onto that shit. I mean, they like like yeah. music concrete and stuff. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like. You know, the thing that stands out about feels like just from like a sonic perspective is it the guitars, like the rubbery kind of detuned guitars. Yeah. Like very shimmery sounds. Like the album just kind of sounds like it's like melting almost. Yeah. Which totally. I think is really cool. Yeah. Like for as corny as some of that chat GPT stuff was, it is like they are, they are like dense soundscapes of a guitar. Like it is sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, at a time when. Like I said, like Block Party has Silent Alarm coming out, which is so the opposite, so direct and angular and um, yeah. sharp. And, and, you know, this definitely has that kaleidoscopic feel to it. I don't know if Avi described it this way or where the music sounds like you're in like a Crystal Palace. Oh, like, really? It was a great description of the, yeah. the, the album. Because, I mean, it is their kind of love album. Right. They're both married. They're both recently. Yeah. Done that. I found this interesting quote. I think it might have been in that Fader piece I mentioned earlier, but it's like the writer of this piece is with them before a show, and A.B. Terry's putting ink on his face, and he says, Ink is a major theme in our music, which I thought was a, I don't know, cl- classic A.B. Terryism. Yeah. But, uh, but if you look at the lyrics for Feels and even the cover album, you know, which I think is, uh, it's like a child's educational pamphlet that A.B. Terry like, found on the street in New York and then re- reconstituted to, mm. to be this guy. There's, there are those like sort of purple ink splashes. But even, yeah, did you see the words that it talks about like, you know, the words dripping and 
much references to like envelopes and stuff and even the purple bottle I feel like you can almost picture it as like a purple bottle of ink but, yeah, uh, I but, feel uh, like it's kind of a sweaty, horny album. Totally, but also, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I guess for a while, uh, Kriya Brecken, Doc Tess, whose piano's on the album, Avi Tear's wife at the time, they had been pen pals for a while before she like moved to New York. So I think that sort of helps. You know, that's probably the the inkiness or part of the oh yeah the horny inkiness of <laughs> that's sort of dripping all over the album. But but yeah, but what a cool like I don't know inspiration or like what a cool reference to have as like a guiding sonic principle for an album is like inkiness like you know mm-hmm. you know for strawberry jam they're inspired by like weird airplane strawberry jelly that came in a packet <laughs> that's like super artificial yeah i love how they you know how they describe and communicate sounds it's it's really cool yeah it's like nothing's off limits for like worthy of musical interpretation i suppose yeah What do you think of when you listen to this album or, you know, what, what sticks out to you like yeah. sonically? Uh, I think for me, I think of like energy with this album. Like I think mm-hmm. of especially a guy who came into the fold uh, after Meriwether Post Pavilion came out. You know, I mean, that's super gen- energetic record too, but it's a little more headphonesy, a little more. Yeah. You know, cerebral, cerebral, a little more like hi-fi, a little more, you know, like, whereas this sounds, yeah, I mean, it's, this is like the period I most wish I could have seen them live in with this sort of stage set up with Panda Bear doing like the stand-up drums, AV and Deacon playing guitar and then geologist doing the like you know crazy sound sampling mini disc stuff that he does. Like when you look up YouTube videos of this era and especially playing these songs even seeing them now when they when they when they play feels tracks there's like a there's a special like you know you think of those tracks like grass and just that kind of galloping yeah like, gleeful euphoric energy yeah um, very wild energy yeah i mean when i listen to that i feel like i could run through a brick wall <laughs> <laughs> but yeah what about you yeah, Grass was an early one I heard from the band. Yeah, didn't you say that that was one of the first Animal Collective songs you'd heard? Yeah, that and My Girls, but um, yeah, I mean... That's interesting. Did you like Grass right off the bat, or did you... Yeah, definitely yeah. loved it right off the bat. Um, it just reminded me of, like, if Brian Wilson and Lindsey Buckingham formed a band, this is what it would have to sound like. Um, yeah, I loved it. I loved the energy. Their music does a weird thing where it's like, I get pumped up, but also like kind of relaxed yeah. at the same time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. It's like things that shouldn't go together do. Yeah. And it, it's such a crazy, like, yeah, it feels so good. And I feel like this is a perfect example, like the intro to Grass, when everything kind of just comes in. And it kind of, yeah, like oscillates between like psych like psychotic <laughs> rhymes and like really sweet um vocal melodies the line that always sticks out to me is um you'd be very happy if i touched her there <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna bring that up yeah that was on your list yeah i mean it, it's like one of those lines it's like 
a little kid would say, but you wouldn't get angry at them for saying it. Right. It could easily be a, <laughs> a, a totally fucked up line or completely innocent. Yeah. And that's the line that this band treads on, yeah. which I fucking love. Yeah. I think after that it was I think I heard Banshee beat next might be my favorite track on the record yeah I love that song yeah there's some you know there's definitely some all time Anko songs on here Banshee beat Purple Bottle Purple Bottle Live is just like amazing cause by the end they're just like hopping up and down around stage like yeah. going nuts Purple Purple Bottle is an all timer I think both studio and live track in fact yeah one of my favorite live YouTube videos of Animal Collective is a performance of the Purple Bottle, which I think we watched like one of the first nights we hung out. We just ended up like searching Animal Collective videos on YouTube late one night. Yeah. But it's a, a performance. It's in... Um, oh, was that with the, the Stevie Wonder reference? Yeah, so it's this live video of, of Purple Bottle. It's from 2006, a performance at Tea in the Park Fest, which I think is in like Scotland. But yeah, there's the uh, interpolation of Stevie Wonder song. It's an amazing video because they're just, you know, they're like mid-tour. They're sharp as hell. They're fucking killing it, going crazy on stage. And the crowd, like, sucks. You know, it's like, <laughs> you can tell they're just, like, in one of those tents, like, in the daytime at a festival, you know, probably have, like, a 3 p.m. slot. On some bad drugs. Um, and, yeah, it was, it's a, but the, but the video is amazing. AV's voice sounds so good. Drumming is incredible, like the rim clicks and just all the it's mm -hmm. it's so sick. Some um, great some great A V screams. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's he does the screams and he has got like it you know, he's got it hooked up to like a delay pedal that he controls with his foot, and does it at like strategic moments. It's awesome, man. It's like yeah. I just called 
I've had a great time every time I've seen Animal Collective live, but when I think of this era, I'm like, shit, that would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that if I had a time machine, I would definitely go back to check out one of those sets. There's also violin on the album. They got a violinist, I'm not gonna pronounce it right, but Ivid Kang. Oh, I think I think he plays on Daffy Duck. Like the droning low. I could be wrong though. That's another very drippy song. There's also just like a cool, um, like the way it's sequenced, like the first half of the album is kind of very energetic and then it goes into this long lull for the second half. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like song tongs in a way. I mean, that's sort of, you could say that's sort of an Animal Collective album form. You know, there's like a more energetic A-side and then it's sort of a more, you know, ambient, sort of introspective B-side. Mm. But they usually still end it with a banger, you know, like with a up-tempo one, like turn into something. So good. Such a great end I mean, for they, this album. It is a, they do have great closers. All their closers are kind of energetic and bittersweet, but... Yeah. Yeah, turn into something is, is, a, is a great one that's... I feel like everything just kind of comes alive again when that song comes on. Speaking of the live show, um, yeah, there's a lot of great live shows from this era. A really good one that I've returned to over the years is um, April 30th, 05. Uh, I think it's Kentucky, but the first three songs, it's like 20 minutes or so. It's mm -hmm. it's awesome. It's it's people into turn into something into Lock Raven, and it's just such a cool little like sequence of tracks. Um, turn into something sounds really different. Um, they really like draw it out. It sounds more like kind of like countrified kind of. Mm. With Korea Brecken's piano on it, I mean, it might be like sort of the Animal Collective album that has like the most contributions from like an outside member. I'm trying to think of like other times they've had guests on albums. Not it's um, it's it's not often. I think painting with John Cale's on one song. Oh right, yeah. I think there's some kind of children's choir on Centipede Hurts, though I was never able to pick it out. Oh dang. Okay. But yeah, yeah. This is definitely not a band that usually collaborates. I feel like they have such a specific musical language that they only know how to kind of play and communicate with each other. Yeah. Which makes sense because, you know, they've been friends since they were right. little and making music for so long and it's kind of hard to penetrate that. Or Yeah. Which is also why they're so good and interesting and cool, you know. Totally. They have their own musical language. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool that Korea Brecken was able to, like, tap into that, though, because that piano is really sick. Yeah. Um, I guess she also sort of was in inspiration for the name of the album, Feels, according to some stuff I've read online. It's like, yeah. Because, you know, she's Icelandic, 
So she, I guess, instead of like when she talked about her feelings, she would say her feels. Oh, really? So yeah. Sort of. Uh, I was wondering if that also had anything to do with like you know how everyone was re- referencing like all the feels and all that stuff. Yeah. Kind of using that word in that way. Yeah. If that. If, I mean, that feels more like recent. You know, <laughs> it yeah, feels more so. like recent internet speak as opposed to like. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, speaking of affecting the culture, you know, panda bears stand up sort of drumming style with this. Yeah. You know, uh, do you think this helped give birth to the later, you know, 2010 uh, hey ho folk bands bringing out auxiliary percussion on the stage and playing backup snares and toms to wow the audience? (laughs) I mean, I think so. I feel like, you know, after this, like, Every everybody in Brooklyn had a floor tom and a delay pedal in their band. Yeah. Right. For I mean. Yeah. It was just everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's funny because when I when I was um, interviewing Dave, he told me a story where he he was with Noah one day and they were Noah was like, I think I just want to bring like a floor tom and like a crash cymbal on tour. Yeah. And then Dave was like, Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> And it was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, it's so unique watching videos of the performances at these times. And even you can hear it, you know, it's just like it's forcing, you know, kick drum is like one of the most important sounds in a drum kit setup. When you take that away, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're you're forced to be creative. And yeah, it's it's that's one of the special things about this album is sort of that unique approach to instrumentation. And, yeah, the, the, the bang the um, drum vibe. Yeah, and also just as a drummer, I totally, you know, sympathize with being like, I don't want to carry around this much heavy shit, you know? Let's do less of it. No, yeah, I mean, it totally set a vibe, that's for sure. That was a thing to do for, for a while. How does this album sound to you now? Like, does it does it sound modern? Does it sound dated? Does it sound like early aughts indie? Like, because to me, I feel like this album sounds like the best out of like pretty much any Anco release. Like, mm. like revisit wise. Yeah, like I haven't really. I, I feel like this album, this era, kind of just like really sounds good now. Like it kind of really holds up. Yeah. There does kind of feel like something sort of timeless about it. I, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint why that is. I mean, I think maybe like that, that live instrumentation aspect of it, you know, because this is sort of, well, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, strawberry jam sort of a little bit more of this before they make more of a major instrumentation change with Meriwether. But yeah, man, I think there's something about, I think these songs feel like because they were, you know, live organic creations that they made touring on the road and then captured in the studio, they just feel so like lived in and 
I think it's funny, like reading a lot of the reviews of this album when it came out, there's a lot of tones of like, oh, well, like the little weirdos like learned how to write songs finally, sort of, or like, mm. <laughs> like, oh, the like, the, the kind of weird noise guys are like, are like, you know, writing pop now. And even Which Scott is, Coburn, the pr- engineer was like, oh, these are all, these are all pop songs, like with like wrapped in like fucked up sounds. Which like, is really funny because... I feel like they only kept getting more refined. Uh-huh. There was still, you know, they still had Strawberry Jam, you know, and then they then they had Merryweather. Like, I feel like every, in this period, like every album that they released, critics were like, oh, this is the pop album. Mm-hmm. But then they leveled totally. up again. Yeah, exactly. And, which was just like a cool kind of like trajectory. Like, uh, yeah, they're always, always changing. Yeah. And I mean, it's cool because there's like, this band never uses bass really. Like there's no bass on this album. There's no distortion really. Like they don't really like like. Yeah. I know Avi's talked about not really liking distortion pedals or like stuff like that. Right. Or, or like horns with rock music or. So there's very deliberate kind of choices. Yeah. Um. And and it, and it works like. Totally. You know, one of the great things about this band is that they're they're able to put together things that don't usually go together well. A lot of disparate sounds, especially like extremes, you know. They can be screaming and yelping one moment and then kind of like singing these beautiful like lullabies in the next and it, and it all works, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the singing, yeah, singing is great. I mean, it's mostly AV. I feel like he's kind of like smiling during this whole album as he's singing. Yeah. You know, like that AV vibe where he's kind of like yeah it's like i don't know how else to describe it he's kind of like got a mischievous kind of totally tone to him yeah really cool yeah he seems very happy and not afraid to show it (laughs) yeah um no a lot of a lot of joy a lot of joy in this album which is really cool yeah i mean is it is it maybe one of the like it's all four of them and they worked with an engineer and it's professionally recorded, you know, is that, mm-hmm. could that maybe be one of the reasons it's such a standout? It's like maybe the first time they, as sort of like a proper touring band, you know, combined all four of their, of their powers as it were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was definitely like a professional level up. I mean, what was the last foursome and co-release was Here Comes the Indian before this? Yeah. Sounds like two completely different bands. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like this was part of a like one hell of a run. Yeah, Sun Tongs through like I would say through like Tomboy for counting all members of the band. I think it was like the sweet spot for sure. Yeah. What was your favorite song on this album? Dude, I don't know. If I mean pick. Yeah, Grass, Banshee Beat. Yeah. Um Is this your favorite Animal Collective album? I I think it's number two. I mean, these days... Yeah, currently. These days it might be number one. Nice. It's definitely my favorite of, like, all of them together. I think, yeah. Like, if I had to, like, rank all the albums with them together, it'd be, like, Feels, Strawberry Jam, Time Skiffs, then Arc, and then maybe Centipede. Hmm. But... I mean, yeah, this is definitely, yeah, top three and co-release. Nice. How about you? Where does it rank 
um, counting like even the solo releases. Yeah, that's tough. I think it's hard to compare those. I think it's probably it's probably a top fiver for me too, for sure. Possibly top three. It's hard to gauge because we're sort of at the beginning of this journey, and I know we'll be you know eventually doing more deep dives into the rest of the records, and I you know might feel differently along the way, but. Yeah, having listened to it a bunch recently, it's it's a banger. Yeah. It slaps. What was I listening to recently that reminded me of feels Oh, Talking Heads Remain in a Light. Nice. I feel like yeah, they both kind of draw on like African music, rhythms and guitar playing yeah. kind of. And they're both Remain in the Light also kind of has that that lull, like the second half is kind of very chill compared yeah. to the first half. I feel like those are kind of like spiritual siblings. Nice. In a way. I'll have to check that out since I'm in feels mode. Yeah. If this album came out today, if Animal Collective was a relatively new band and feels dropped tomorrow, what do you think the reception would be? Man, I don't know. I would be stoked because I feel like this is the kind of shit that's missing a lot from today's yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say how it'd be received because, you know, it's Animal Collective is one of those bands that while they don't, while they have few acts that are like very clearly directly influenced by them, also their influence is like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it would, it probably wouldn't get like, I don't think Pitchfork would see it the same way it did then because back then Pitchfork was just kind of the wild west of. Yeah. Oh. Also, Pitchfork feels so different. Like, yeah, I feel this like- was their number seven album of the year that year, and like you know, yeah, this this two years ago they gave WAP the song of the year. <laughs> you know, it just feels like sort of a right. I mean, I feel like if Feels came out this year, it'd, it'd maybe make like top fifty or something. Yeah, under the Condé Nast regime. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it would get best in music and then not on the year end list, like our buddy Times Gift. Oh yeah. yeah. Anything else to add from Feels? Do you have any uh, great live memories of? Do you have any great? Do you have any great memories of seeing Animal Collective live and hearing a Feels track? Oh man, um, I really liked their version of "Did You See the Words" during the Centipede Hurts. Yeah. Yes, dude. I saw them then. Yeah, I, I think it was Pitchfork Fest in 2011. Before Sandy yeah, that, came out. Yeah, that version actually, yeah. That's that, like so They opened the, the show with that, and I it s- was awesome, dude. Yeah, that that is just like a very like beefed up kind of wall of sound version. I think it was like summer 2011, yeah. Yeah. That was really good. I remember they did like a drum and bass version of Bees on Painting With. That was so interesting. Intense. Wow. You got to find that clip. And then like a kind of dancey techno version of Lock Raven. It's cool. That was sick. Yeah. So that's feels, folks. Hell of a record. And this has been Bonefish. Thanks for listening. Uh, and we we will catch you on the next episode. Peace. Hey everyone, 
Uh, just wanted to let you know quick that if you want to follow the show, we're on Instagram at bonefishpod. And then the email is bonefishpod at gmail.com in case you want to reach out. And hey, if you're digging it, why not leave a review, a rating, you know, that all helps other people like you find the show. Thanks. Bye. Bonefish.